Before the episode begins, I'd like to tell you about the Science for Care podcast. Science for Care is an audio series produced by HealthTech for Care, an endowment fund committed to support and promote access to care for all patients. Each episode takes a concise look at some of the major advances in medicine, mRNA vaccines, antibiotics, gene therapy, the metaverse, and many more. The production is meticulous, the narration captivating, and the guests are true leaders in their respective fields. If you listen to Impulse, then you'll be for sure interested, so don't wait any longer and go listen to the first two seasons of Science for Care. We, we are convinced here at the company that uh, in the next five, ten years, we are going to have a very different relationship to our health. What we want to do with this technology, which is downsizing completely a lab uh, to be able to have it directly on us uh, so that we can better monitor and better predict the course of events. We are relying on interstitial fluid, which is a fluid that is just below the skin, between cells, and it's a very interesting fluid for us because it behaves in a very similar way as blood, but it's not as invasive as blood. Welcome to Impulse, the podcast where you will meet the person shaping the current medical advancements and pushing the boundaries of what is currently achievable in healthcare. Be they researchers, doctors, engineers, or entrepreneurs, we will explore through in-depth conversations their field of expertise, as well as the journey that took them where they are now. So hello, Esmeralda. First of all, thank you for having me at your offices here at Xencio. Um, took a bit of time to find the right schedule and seek our respective agendas, but we are here and um, I really look forward to hearing more about the activities that you guys are um, leading um, with all the team. Um, I'm not going to disclose much in the intro about the type of technology um, that you guys are working on. I'll let you take us through it um, in a short moment, but as a simple teaser, I can share that part of our conversation will be certainly about the continuous monitoring of certain compounds, um, including hormones and proteins that circulate in our body through a new type of wearable device um, in a minimally invasive way. I'm really curious to understand how, how all of this works um, and what the applications that you guys are looking into are. Um, but before we dive into all of that, would you like to present yourself? Yeah, so hello Mathieu and welcome to our office here in Lausanne. Uh, on the premise of EPFL. Um, so I am Esmeralda Megali. I am one of the founders of Accenture. I'm the CEO of the company. And our goal here at Accenture is summed up with a tagline of the company, which is Lab on Skin Sensing Platform. And it really captures the ambition and what we want to do with this technology, which is downsizing completely a lab uh, to be able to have it directly on us uh, so that we can better monitor and better predict the course of events. So it's really, I mean, I see the chips uh, in front of me, you brought some some prototypes. So it's really about having um, a portable device on the body in a continuous way, like throughout the day or over multiple days to track certain biomarkers, right? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And so we see, and we, we are convinced here at the company that 
uh, in the next five, 10 years, we are going to have a very different relationship to our health. Uh, right now, we go once in a while to the doctor's office. We do a blood test a few, maybe mm -hmm. a year. And we have this very static snapshot mm -hmm. of how we stand now at this moment when we take this uh, blood test. It's a very static approach and it, because it relies just on a single point measurement. Mm -hmm. And we have this long list of biomarkers, but all captured at the same exact same time. Where we see the market going is really at the intersection of this biosensors market, traditional lab test market or mm -hmm. point of care devices that we have seen for the past 15, 15 years now, where we are downsizing a big centralized lab into a smaller one in a doctor's office. And we see the, uh, a space emerging between that biosensors market and wearables mm -hmm. that are focusing mostly on activity until now. So number of steps, movements, heart rate, uh, the Fitbit and the Apple Watches. There's been uh, mostly the focus on physical data since now, uh, uh, yeah, sometime there is biochemical data with yep. uh, CGMs, continuous glucose monitoring devices. Exactly, this yeah. is the first time we have, we go from physical in a wearable format to biochemical, but it's just glucose. And we want to expand that. And so we want to really build this intersection between biosensors on the one side and wearables on the other side to create wearable biosensing. I see. Maybe before we dive into how the technology works and, and the applications, maybe we can take a step back. So I think you are the first person I receive on the podcast with a background in <laughs> venture capitalism and private equity. So I was wondering whether you were already focusing at the time on healthcare-related technologies and companies and um, and otherwise, what brought you to move to the other side and you know become an entrepreneur, found Xencio, and and start this journey um, in the medtech space to move to the brighter side. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say I have a, a strong background in in VC. I, I did a few years as a young associate in the yeah. US. So I my background. I'm from Belgium. I went to do studies uh, at MIT at Boston, um, uh, an MBA at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Then I worked for a few years in a venture capital fund mm -hmm. that was exactly in that space. So in rapid diagnostics and uh, healthcare medtech companies. And uh, this small fund was starting a collaboration with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah to really go, and my role was going and scouting, going into all these big labs and talking to entrepreneurs and, and seeing what were their vision for the future of healthcare and especially on the diagnostic side. And so it was a great exposure to, to that space and to the future of that space. So that was back in 2009. And at that time, point of care devices were really picking up and we had invested in one of the very really good labs, which is the George White Science Lab in uh, in at Harvard. And there was a technology that we were uh, we had invested in and helped develop. I mean, sp fund for for, uh, for development. And it was a multiplex point of care device for the doctor's office that could do many many things. And we're focusing on on PSA rapid tests. Um, so that was my role, and it was really a, a great time to be there at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was also really realizing that being a VC 
is not that fun really at the end of the day <laughs> um, being an entrepreneur and shaping an idea and really building a team uh, and shaping really the future that you envision rather than just being on the sideline and investing and supporting that mm -hmm. seemed to be more fun so I that that was at the time where I made it uh, that's why when you made the leap and um, I also saw in your profile that you also studied a new curriculum uh, after your studies right you graduated in economics then you did the MBA And you did another I did, master's, yeah. right? So I, so I did, yeah. So I have my background is uh, uh, bachelor in economics, master's degree in uh, econometrics. Mm -hmm. Then I went for an MBA. And then when I came, so I, when I decided to make the jump, I looked for really cool technologies that would go beyond point-of-care devices. Mm -hmm. And I... What Professor Adrian Unesco here at, at EPFL was doing really struck me as a really interesting vision for the future. It, it seemed very futuristic then. Uh, he, he was building, he already working with the industry on taking this really early stage technology and, and building a big vision around it. And, uh, and so we decided to create a company at that time. I see. <laughs> and maybe now we can go back to, to, to what you are leading here at Exensio. And I was wondering, so you, you mentioned that the purpose is to measure continuously certain parameters that are, that are circulating in the, in the fluids in our body. Um, I was wondering about what is the, the unmet need or you know the, the gap that you mentioned be, between these type of technologies and the established wearables that almost all of us have these days on the wrist. Um, so yeah, I'd be curious to hear about that. So I think there is a, a big number of players and, and from the outside, the wearables market seems to be very, very crowded. So there are so many brands. At, but at the end of the day, these brands that, I mean, it could be the Fitbit or the Samsung or the Xiaomi, or they are all relying on the sim similar type of sensors, which are typically an accelerometer mm -hmm. to look at the movements mm -hmm. and a gyroscopes to look at so the steps and the movements and maybe heart rate. Um, there's yeah, oxygenation level. So there are few in increments, but at the, the end of the day, it's, it's really the whole industry and the whole ecosystem of apps that have been created, yeah. gigantic ecosystem, all rely on the same type of sensors. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, the next generation will have to do more than that, and capture really essential parameters of our health to be really, uh, truly innovative and useful for, mm -hmm. for, for people. Mm -hmm. uh, so the unmet need that we see is that there is a, there is an, we have an inability to detect and monitor warning signs when they occur for mm -hmm. our health. Mm -hmm. And so we rely on our general symptoms. We might have a few tools to look at uh, CGMs for changes in glucose level or, or temperature or, or a cuff for hypertension. But beyond that, there is nothing to track the onset and monitor what is happening when you start to feel certain symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it would be both for the prevention and the management of certain conditions. So we see it more at, it's not a tool that would be worn and used on, on our body to monitor parameters that change very slowly over time mm -hmm. just in case something happens. So this is not something that you would use um, for, let's say, the monitoring of progression of cancer. Or mm -hmm. uh, We're not there. This is not 
the 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 scope that we are we are there to monitor certain very specific biomarkers, proteins, or hormones that might change rapidly over the course of a few hours to a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, this is a critical period of time when the doctor or the patient believes that something might happen to have better information, but also to be really the, to predict the course of events. Mm-hmm. And do you see it as um, sort of like a device that consumer would be able to buy as we buy now these days, like the wearables that we have, or would it be something prescribed, uh, like medical grade, and not something that everyone would be able to to get, basically? So our vision is really on the medical side. Uh, this is where the potential benefit is the greatest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would be a medical grade device. We're putting in place all the processes, the QMS and everything to make it a medical device in the future. Um, maybe one day in the, in the really, uh, in five, 10 years, maybe it will become so simple to use and so uh, maybe cheap mm-hmm. that it could be worn by anyone for let's say one or two weeks um, to understand better what is happening in the body the way CGMs started for mm-hmm. diabetic people. And now this has expanded and it's used exactly. by, by consumers to understand for their nutrition. And so we see a lot of applicabilities, but really our first big focus is on the medical side. Exactly, because I, I came across like a company and maybe there's probably multiple ones doing it, but they, I think they used the Abbott Freestyle Library system for continuous measurement of glucose, but now not for diabetic patients, for everyone. Absolutely. I think the company was called Very Stable or something. Yeah, so. there are many super sapiens as well in the US. So consumers purchase the, the, the hardware mm-hmm. and then there is all the, the data analytics specifically for nutrition, for sports. Um, yeah. we, we could imagine also that happening at some point where a device is at the heart uh, of a, of an, another ecosystem that is mm-hmm. created. Okay. And so it looks like, um, I mean, depending on the set of proteins, hormones, and compounds that you would be able to measure, that this could be applicable to quite a wide range of, of diseases and conditions. Do you already have in mind um, some that you would be able to target or that are already in scope? Yeah. So um, there are a few cases that we are focusing on. The team here is is actively focusing on. Let me uh, share two that we are all excited about. One is monitoring of inflammatory markers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, CRP or other uh, biomarkers that 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 look at and measure inflammation level. So. We are in discussion with doctors and specifically with doctors at the Mayo Clinic in the US uh, because they see a tremendous need to m- use that even in the hospital. Okay, yeah, in patient. And then later when patients are released and they are back home and by themselves, it will be used also. But let me just share on the, on the hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is... So doctors have to juggle with a lot of pressure all the patients that come, and especially those who are immunocompromised, mm-hmm. are A, more prone to having an infection, and B, if they have an infection, the effect is much more uh, negative for them. Yeah. So there is a, a big pressure on the healthcare system, on doctors and nurses, to look and see which patients are deteriorating and which need, which ones need to go and mo- be moved from the ward to the mm-hmm. ICU, for example. Yeah. 
And so the doctors in critical care there are very, very interested in using this type of technology to monitor immunocompromised patients uh, over, let's say, a few hours to a few days and see which ones need to be prioritized. So it becomes not only a medical tool, but a, a tool for management of patients internally. And then the second case is uh, when patients are released and, and are sent back home, yeah. uh, the uh, non-significant, insignificant share of patients have an infection that develops back home. Mm -hmm. And by the time they realize they come back to the hospital, it becomes very, very uh, prominent for a subshare of this population, uh, it becomes critical. And mm -hmm. it's also a big cost for the healthcare system, for the hospital. And so monitoring those vulnerable vulnerable people when they come back home yeah. is something that is very important. So that's on the infect infectious disease side, infections. Uh, another case that we are uh, looking carefully into is cardiovascular applications. Mm -hmm. So uh, we know that when there is suspicion of a heart attack, patients rush to the hospital and there is a troponin test that is done, mm -hmm. and then a few hours later, another one, and we look at changes that happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, in I think it's everywhere, but let, let me just take U.S. numbers. Uh, 10 to 20% of patients who rush to the hospital eventually have a heart attack. All mm -hmm. the other ones have nothing. Exactly. So there is a big burden for the healthcare system, and it's a big burden also in the emergency room, so the doctors, again, in Mayo, Mayo Clinic are interested in using this type of technology for troponin or for other heart-related biomarkers um, to see, again, dynamics, not mm -hmm. static information, but dynamics and seeing which ones have this sharp increase that is happening over the course of exactly. a, few, a few hours. And efficiently triage those exactly. that actually require exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. I see. Okay, and maybe now we can we can talk about the the way um, the way it actually functions. So, first of all, I'd be curious about what, what are the components inside um, the device that you guys have. So, um, you, we have here on the table the uh, miniaturized version that is mm -hmm. going to come in a in in the near future. Uh, so, it's a I don't know how to measure that. I mean, it's a the size of a probably the 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 screen of a of a of a watch exactly an apple uh, watch mm -hmm. yeah an apple watch and it has on the back it has macro needles mm -hmm. and what it does is the patient in the future will put the device on the upper arm it pierces the skin very with um, an array of macro needles that we don't really feel mm -hmm. and then there is an adhesive so the patient puts it on it fits on the arm and then he connects it to the mobile phone mm -hmm. And so when the pairing is done, the patient starts seeing changes that are happening. So let's say in the future, we'll have a panel of different biomarkers. Uh, it could be a combination of different biomarkers. And what it's going to do is give changes and provide information about this, the evolution of the state of the patient mm -hmm. to the patient, to the caregiver, to the doctor, mm -hmm. to who, whoever needs to be involved mm -hmm. in that yep. decision-making process. Uh, so, miniaturized, multi-parametric, uh, and then real-time continuous information. Now, uh, very proud of, of what the team has achieved uh, last week. Actually, it's, it was a big milestone internally, where we have a bit more, a bit bigger device. So it's not yet as miniaturized as what we are looking <laughs> for. Um, it's not adhesive, so it's a strap 
that we put. So it's like a, a, a yeah. An armband. Yeah, an armband that we put on the upper arm. And then there is a little piece that clips in. Again, needles enter the skin. And what we proved last week was a whole system. So the whole wearable integrated system was proven where the device has microneedle, microneedle arrays, pierces the skin, interstitial fluid, and we'll get into that. Uh, uh, actually, it comes out, flows in through the, the microneedles, through very small microfluids channels, and then up to the sensor. In mm -hmm. the case that we proved, it was a pH sensor. So it flows over the sensor, and then the measurement is done, and then it's relayed to the smartphone in real time, and the process goes on and on. So a new drop comes in through the microneedles, through the fluidics channels, to the sensor, and the, it's an sort of ongoing process mm -hmm. that we were able to prove that for sort of an hour, an hour and a half, you have this continuous information that comes out. So we did that for pH. The team is working very hard on proteins and hormones. So, so once that is ready, it will be integrated into the same wearable system that we have proven. And so you touched on the the, the medium that you were um, where you were actually measuring the different compounds. That is the interstitial fluid. Absolutely. Well, can you yeah. tell us more about it? <laughs> so this is a, a very interesting biofluid. So first of all. We are all used to blood serum, mm -hmm. right? So for all the measurements. In the case of a continuous monitoring, we are not going to draw continuously blood. It coagulates, mm -hmm. so it's not the right fluid. Plus, it's very invasive for, yeah. for the patient. Um, doctors are even afraid of taking a few um, blood tests per, per day because they don't want to really... It's, it's, it's a heavy process for the patient. So mm -hmm. we're not touching blood. We are relying on interstitial fluid, which is a fluid that is just below the skin, between cells. Mm -hmm. And it's a very interesting fluid for us because it behaves in a very similar way as blood, but it's not as invasive as blood. Mm -hmm. And 80% of, it has shown that 80% of the biomarkers that are present in blood are present in interstitial fluid. So it's a it's a very appealing, promising interstitial fluid, and it's the, the fluid that is used for CGM, so for continuous glucose monitoring, yeah. it's not in blood, it's in in the interstitial fluid. Yeah. Okay. And um, I was wondering, so there is a continuous uh, flow of that fluid through the device over time. Um, and how is that enabled? Because I don't think there's any pump there. There is no pump, mm. no. So it's all passive fluidics. Okay. My capillary channels. Yeah. Okay. So we have a, a team uh, of fluidics experts here internally that is working on that. Okay, I see. <laughs> um, so your your company was founded in in 2014, um, and it's been around for for eight years now, which is um, still reasonable, I think, considering the you know, technical challenges that you are facing and the the arduous regulatory pathway that medical devices are known for. Do you have an idea by when your first product will be available? And could you tell us a bit about what are the remaining barriers and hurdles that you still need to solve before um, before eventually getting there? Yeah, so uh, the company was created in 2014 and it was in stealth mode. In the, so we are a spin-off of the Nano Lab here at EPFL, mm -hmm. um, a lab that works on, on miniaturized sensors. Um, and so we remained in stealth mode until 2017 when we really brought in investors 
and we did our round of investment and we were able to recruit our first employees. Um, we So there, there has been a lot of hurdles mm -hmm. because we are tackling a lot of technological risk here yeah. and open questions that have not been proven yet mm -hmm. uh, by, I would say by in general, there is no company today that does a, that has a commercial product that does what we want to do. So um, there, I would say every day there are challenges and we're attacking them. And the challenges come from the technology side. So how to measure a protein or home hormone in a continuous real time way. And that's a big, big challenge. So when you look at centralized lab, mm -hmm. the whole technology relies on single point measurement. And you, if we want to go beyond that, we need to have what we call label-free mm -hmm. technologies to be able to um, to have this re this uh, repeated measurement that happens. So the technology is quite challenging, and then there is a lot of risk on the physiology side. Mm -hmm. So we have been working until recently on different biofluids. So we mentioned interstitial fluid. We have also explored sweat mm -hmm. for a completely non-invasive monitoring system which yeah. is also very appealing but we so we made a lot of uh, sort of experiments to better understand these biofluids how they behave how yeah. what is the uh, I would say uh, correlation with blood there is not a lot of scientific insight and understanding of these two biofluids how they behave what is the correlation of different biomarkers what is the um, the 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 differences between people. So there is a lot of, of uh, studies that we had to do internally to, mm -hmm. to, to do that. And so we've chosen interstitial fluid as the most promising one. Uh, now, in terms of the, the hurdles that are remaining, uh, we are going to continue. So we have done a lot of progress on protein and hormone sensing, and uh, we have a, a team here that is really focusing on that. Um, and then we are also going to next year now we're preparing a small series of interstitial fluid collectors mm -hmm. to be able to collect fl to fluid as a really uh, under so it's it's been a, we have implemented QMS quality management system to be able to use that in clinical studies um, and we are going to build that dynamic inside ourselves because it does not exist so we are going to um, partner with doctors that are really interested in cases like sepsis or heart attacks mm -hmm. and build that dynamic insight to see what it means to take those measurements continuously or quasi-continuously um, in the future. And by taking a few samples of interstitial fluid, a few samples of blood, and then looking at correlations. Uh, so this is going to happen next year. And then uh, we have our proof of concept of protein and uh, protein next year. And uh, and so yeah, then I see. And w when you mentioned about uh, using sweat um, as the medium um, from which you would uh, analyze the compounds, that would have limited the applications to like sports related applications, or not necessarily. Um, or was it part of the decision why it was not taken into account? So uh, our vision was to use initially sweat for all kinds of scenarios from sports to okay. wellness mm -hmm. to medical. Um, and we were trying to detect in an efficient way inflammatory markers mm -hmm. in sweat for medical applications. But we, 
we we found a lot of physiological hurdles to do that in the yeah in the uh, correlation with blood in the sort of also the extraction of mm-hmm. of sweat so this we're actually uh, generating sweat in during sports but we also the the volumes are extremely small when we or quasi mm-hmm. now uh, when people are at rest so that was a big challenge as well mm-hmm. i see and um we we talked about some of the the currently established wearables and i was wondering whether you would already foresee now some synergies that you could leverage with you know measuring activity while measuring also these biomarkers and these compounds that your device would enable is that something that's already um in the process of being figured out or it's maybe i mean of course coming afterwards once the device available and yeah um so i mean we 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 see so many interest from wearable companies to augment what they have <laughs> with the type of biochemical information that we're bringing and and we definitely i think the more data we can combine the better mm-hmm. for for the user for the patient because it provides a much richer information about what is going on at a certain certain time uh, we see also that i would say traditional wearables are increasingly adopted during clinical trials mm-hmm. to correlate activity with patient outcome mm-hmm. so that's interesting and if we can add this layer of biochemical information about how the patient is reacting to the drug how the patient is actually yeah getting the positive and negative impact of drugs then this is something that uh, brings a lot of very very unique information mm-hmm. i see and um another aspect i was curious about is um that goes more into the let's say entrepreneurial aspect of the, the the journey you're going through how do you um when you when you establish the roadmap for the R&D developments and all the technical developments we mentioned how is like how do you manage to come up with a timeline uh, or reasonable timeline that you can share with the investors with um with the external world because you mentioned that you know not only there is the technical development that is very challenging there's also like all the medical evidence that you're building around that um and that sometimes you may not be able to foresee in advance um depending on how things go so i was wondering how this is managed um by your team so it's uh you're right there is always you're accumulating new information you're building evidence that needs to be continuously integrated into your decision making process mm-hmm. so as we're better understanding correlation between a certain biomarker in ICF interstitial fluid and blood as we are learning i don't know the the capabilities of certain yeah building blocks we are we have to be remain extremely reactive uh to in sense we have to react very quickly and, and adjust always our the management of our resources internally mm-hmm. Uh, because things, I mean, this is a startup, uh, the startup <laughs> world, but it's also, I would say, stacked risks in, in, on our side because of all the different open questions. So for investors, it's, I think, being very open about what we know, mm-hmm. what we, the fact that there are things that we don't know that we'll have to validate. So yeah. we are transparent about the different assumptions that we are putting forward and saying this is these are the things that we'll need to verify and we have those experiments and processes that we're putting in place 
And then there is the unknown unknowns and things that that uh, we didn't anticipate and we are learning as part of this. And uh, it's good to have uh, open uh, investors that are also very curious about what we're mm -hmm. uh, developing as insight and who are excited to be part of the journey itself, not just the destination uh, that we are that we have uh, forward. And another question I would have maybe more related to the data analysis part. So you mentioned that there is a device that measures the compounds and then that is sent over to a smartphone or eventually like a cloud platform where the data is being processed. I assume that for the moment, the focus of the development is still very much on the hardware part and not so much on the software. Um, how is this being dealt with at the moment? So we have, uh, I mean, we have a sort of basic software that actually, so the data is, is mm -hmm, transferred. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're right, at this stage, we are really focusing most of our activities and most of the team is on the hardware side. Uh, you need, although we all know that the, the, the raw data is not something that is going to be useful for anyone, mm -hmm, really. Exactly. It's going to be how we interpret that and what kind mm -hmm. of insight we're able to, to leverage. Um, it's this really this focus right now is the critical piece uh, and we we know that we we will have partners and we have different pharmaceutical companies that are really interested in what we're doing and 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 want to leverage that to to help and and understand better what is going on with the drugs that they're putting mm -hmm. in and, and clinical trials um, mm -hmm. so so we and then doctors also so we are um we know that is going to be sort of a in a, a, a part of the journey a bit later on where we build that clinical insight with others. But for now, uh, it's it's creating this unique technology that is driving all of us here. And another point that comes up is during the episode four, we, we had the chance to to talk with um, Lucas Langenegger from Hemotune, um, the company they're developing a whole medical device for the treatment of sepsis, where they're filtering the, the blood and removing certain compounds. And and we touched on uh, a topic which is longevity. And I was wondering whether the continuous measurement of such proteins and hormones that we talked about, um, would that also be part of the applications that you would foresee or? Longevity? Yeah. <laughs> um, so every, I would say not every day, but very often we have people coming up with how can your technology help us for X, Y, and Z? And mm. it's always very interesting for us to, to see the potential that this really unique platform could generate, and mm -hmm. I mean, God knows where it, where it would lead us, but <laughs> we um, longevity could be could be part of could that. be one. Okay, all right. So I think we, I mean, we you talked us through um, your vision, um, how the the compound and the, the system would look like. I think it's always hard. Um, to capture it, so I would invite listeners to go through the website and 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 see how the the actual prototype and um, and case would look like. Um, I think you also released recently um, a video where you showcase um, the proof of concept that we discussed. It would be also or very interesting to see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's I think it's very very interesting, and the applications are are like the potential is extremely high. Um, we're slowly coming to the end of the episode, and um, I do ask a couple of recurring questions to to every guest that uh, that um, give me the pleasure to join. Um, the first one would be, what resources would you recommend us to check out in in order to know more about the field in which we evolve, be it books, publications, websites? 
Um, books, I mean, this field is, is still very nascent. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wish we could have, could go back to books and, and understand and learn a lot, but it's, it's something that is in progress. And so publications, uh, journals, scientific journals is, is what is actually mm -hmm. uh, what we rely on to learn from others. And there are always, um, there are a few groups in the US labs that are working on similar type of work. And so we are learning from each other. Mm -hmm. There is a particular group, so I would say, work that is being done by UCSF, uh, University yeah, of California, San, San Francisco, uh, UCSD as well, San Diego. They have a strong biosensor group there. Um, there is also work at Cincinnati University, mm -hmm. and there are publications there. There, there is one sci scientist that is pioneering the understanding of interstitial fluid and other biofluids. So comparing what we see in saliva with tears with, mm -hmm. and looking at correlations of different compounds with blood. Uh, so I would say really scientific journals and there is a, a, an interesting nature paper uh, that, 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 was, that came out of, of that group. Um, yeah, and seeing and looking at, yeah, other, other startups and, and what they're mm -hmm. doing and so being really attentive to what others are doing, um, but no, no books, no, yeah, I would say no. no textbook at this stage on on wearable biosensing, really. Okay, then uh, I will put the links uh, in the description for the studies. Um, maybe this second question is a bit harder because, as we mentioned, you're still in the development process. But I was wondering whether you could share with us an anecdote from your work which made you realize the impact you were having on, on people already or feedback that you were getting from the medical community when you engage in conversations about the work that you are doing. So as you say, Mathieu, we don't have yet a product that is being used by patients. So, yeah. um, I'll, I'll be happy to share those anecdotes <laughs> in, a, in, a, in the near future. But for now, it's I would say it's more um, discussing with doctors and Really, at some point in the conversation, you always have maybe one very open-minded doctor that says, well, this could really transform mm -hmm. my field. And we had this, uh, we were, as I mentioned, invited by the Mayo Clinic in the US, mm -hmm. uh, which is repeatedly ranked number one. Yes, the best. And they uh, they invited us to be part of their MedTech Accelerator this year, mm -hmm. together with seven other startups. And during that two weeks, uh, it was talking to the expert in transplant patients mm -hmm. who said, well, this is one big problem when pa patients, uh, a, a big percentage of patients who have had a transplant, be it heart or kidney mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. liver, um, we cannot afford that this person comes back because it has an infection. So we mm -hmm. are keeping all these patients internally, even if it's extremely costly, because it's uh, we, we cannot take that risk. But if you could, well, that would change radically the yeah. way we are... Um, the same with a doctor there on on heart attacks, so it's I would say it's it, at this stage it's mostly with doctors mm -hmm. and giving them a new platform and and seeing how that would transform their field. I think this is a always very exciting for for the team here. Yeah, no, thank thanks for for sharing that. Um, who would you suggest as a potential future guest for for the podcast and and why? Um. So, <laughs> I mean, there are a number of uh, really pioneers and a startup that are pioneering new fields in, in 
in the area, not in continuous wearables uh, <laughs> for, for biochemical like us, but doing that for hypertension or or even there is an interesting company called RIA Diagnostics. RIA, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That is developing a, a smart wearable device to, to detect the risk of preterm birth, yeah. which is a big problem because today there is no easy way to see if there is a, a risk of preterm. Yeah. And so... Um, I find it very cool to have a, a sort of a simple solution that can change so much the life of, of people, of patients or babies. Or Is the company from Lulia Kassem? Absolutely, right? absolutely. <laughs> Great. No, I've, I've, I've heard about it so, and I, I think it's also a very interesting case. <laughs> um, how can we get in touch with you over LinkedIn per yeah. email? Yeah, so we have, we're active on LinkedIn, on Twitter. Um, happy to answer any questions, get these, um, get thoughts and feedback from, from people. So info at Accenture.com. Okay. I'll put the links in the description. Is there anything you'd like to add before we, we close? Thank you for the opportunity to share a story. Oh, thank you so much for your time, Esmeralda. Thank you for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. All the notes are available in the episode description. Don't hesitate to share it with your relatives, friends or colleagues and subscribe to the podcast. Also, I would be really grateful if you could leave a positive evaluation on Apple Podcasts. It really helps Impulse move up in the rankings. Feel free also to reach out to me by email or through LinkedIn if you want to share your feedback, questions or suggest potential guests. Thanks and see you in the next one.